Uh, I didn't mention this. My name's Lloyd, if you're a guest. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, uh, along with Rob Sweet, and we rotate between Franklin and our Brentwood congregation. And uh, I'm delighted always when I get to teach here. Science and medicine have come a long way, and uh, you guys know that today we know so much more about uh, things that we couldn't see, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And, and now we know that a lot of the illnesses that we bear and, you know, physically things that, that happen to us and that are wrong with us uh, have their roots in, uh, in, in genetics, in, in our DNA and our chromosomes, and that there's, there's those unwritten, unseen things with our naked eye that actually determine, you know, how tall we get and what our eye color is and, and then what diseases that we're prone to, how we're prone toward health or possibly unhealth. And the same is true in, in the church, okay? I'm going to speak of us locally as a community of faith. That there's a genetic makeup within our DNA as Fellowship Franklin. And some of it we, we can't see, but what we see is what it produces. And, and to the degree that those cells at the cellular level are, are right, i.e. no extra chromosomes or genes out of sequence or DNA, all that kind of thing... Uh, then, then there's health. But when those things are not correct, there is literally unhealth from uh, you know, manageable disease or, or, or issues that we may have to things that, quite frankly, will kill us and kill us as a church. Um, it's why we're in the book of Acts. When we open up to this, next, this text in uh, 2, 41 to 47 that Carol read, it's like we've been handed a little microscope slide. You guys remember those? I hadn't seen them forever, you know, but the, 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 the glass thing and then that little thin, thin glass that you would lay on the top of the pond water. And, you know, you're looking at the water thinking, I could drink that. And then you put it under the microscope and go, <coughs> you know, it's got the little wiggly things swimming around in that water. Um, that's what we're doing. We're, we, we, we open up the book of Acts and we look under the microscope and we see what's the, 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 the genetic makeup of the church. What's the church as God intends it to be? And we see it. And I'm telling you, verse 42 in Acts chapter 2 is the one verse that any church in the world would go to to go, okay, what is it that the church is to be and do? Now, we're going to be in Acts and covering a lot of these, but this is the watershed verse. You know, as we're going through Acts in this season, we are taking, you know, sections of Acts. We're not going verse by verse. We did that almost 15, like 19 years ago. But, but we're taking sections in Acts to say, who are we to be as the church? And so when we look at the microscope and we see what's in there, we go, okay, how, are we matching up to that? Is that our DNA? Y'all, we are not immune to straying from what God has called us to be and do. We're not immune from that. And, you know, as a church, we're hitting a 20-year mark. And uh, for those of us who've been around, you know, a, a, a long time, you know, we can see where, where, where have we missed the mark? Have we changed? And uh, I'm, I'm, the Condorios came in here, and some of you may not. Doug, I'm thinking about, you know, you go all the way back 20 years ago and sitting in a Franklin theater, and now we're in three congregations. And where, where have we shifted that we need to be Shifting back to no organization can go through 20 years of life and not have a cycle of 
uh, you know, a life cycle that you get to hear and you go, okay, what, what needs to be adjusted? And we're in a season of renewal. You know, we've said that several times and uh, we're, we're, I'm going to talk about what part of that is here in a moment, but in this season of renewal, we're asking God to show us and that's what Acts is doing. All right, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. Carol read it. I'm not going to read it all the way through again, but I'm going to take it a little bit of a section at a time. And, and before, I, before I even dive into that, into that I want to grab verse 41 because there's a few things I want us to see. Verse 41, it says, those, so then, because this belongs actually to the previous section in a sense, so then those who had received his word were baptized and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Let's not just fly by that. I mean, that happened in one day. You know, from Acts chapter one to where we are now, we're still in the same day. And the, the, the word is preached, and there's 3,000 people who come to faith in Jesus. They believe. There's individuals who believe Jesus died on the cross for their sins, was buried and raised again. They're born again. The Spirit indwells them. And, and what I want us to notice in this is when you look and you go, okay, what were they doing? Or what, what, was, that, what was the church? Because this is the, you know, the beginning. This is like the indwelt people of God. Uh, what were they doing that that would happen? They go from 120 to 3,120 like that. Now, here's what they were doing. Chapter 1, verse 14, it says they were, they were meeting together. Got it. Okay, so, so what, you know, whatever, they, of, of all the things they're doing, they were meeting together. Chapter 1, verse 14 says as well, and they were devoting themselves continually to prayer. Got it. They were meeting together and they were praying. Acts chapter 2 says, in that meeting, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They were, they were baptized by the Spirit. They were placed into the body of Christ. This is, this is more than in the verse per se, but this is what happened when the Spirit came upon them. The Holy Spirit now indwells the people of God who believe in Christ. And in that moment, you know, the, the, the flames, the things that look like flames, etc. But then they spoke in those la- known languages. And then Peter begins to preach. So they were meeting together. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. They were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And Peter, as one of them, proclaimed Jesus. That, that's all that was happening. So... Of all that was happening in that church that led to 3,000 converts in a day, is there anything they were doing that we can't be doing today? Tell me. So here's someone yell it out even. No. That's convicting to me. You know, God, God sovereignly brings people to faith, but it's just, it was, it's convicting and it's hopeful. So I want us to kind of hold both of those. It's like, well, you know, that doesn't have to be back for back. You know, that never happens today. Well, why? They were meeting together. They were praying. They were filled with the Spirit. And they spoke about Jesus. We can do this. We must be doing this. And as we look at the rest of this verse, and in particular verse 42, it's interesting to me that it's simply an expansion on these things. It's like an expand. Meet together, pray together, <laughs> filled with the Spirit, and talk about Jesus. I'm going to break it down into three sections just to help us. We could do it a number of different ways, but let me give you three categories that we see in these passages about the early church. There was a common conviction, common conviction. There was a common, there were common practices, common conviction, 
common practices, and then finally there's a, what I'm going to say is common results. Common conviction, common practices, common results. I choose the word common very intentionally uh, because when you read the passage, don't miss that there's really nothing but plural pronouns. There was, they were common. There was together. It's not an individual thing. When you read this, what you're going to see is it says they, themselves, everyone, those, they, their, they, their, those, their, their. It's, it's always them, not I. Common conviction. Start there. Verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to, stop right there, continually devoting themselves. One Greek word. And the the idea is that they were were attached to something that they were not going to be unattached from. They were were devoted to it. And wherever it was going, they were attached to it. This idea of, I'm going to call it, I'm going to use it this way, persistent intentionality. Let's just say, they were were persistently intentional, however you want to say it. Persistent intentionality intentionality. It's to persevere in some activity or cause to the point of devotion. It was in their DNA. This is at the chromosome level within them that they were, they were after this. What they did required engagement, an intentional engagement. And it required staying engaged even when they met resistance. And just one simple point on this I want to say. It reminds us that faith And the life of faith and the choices we make in faith in the fullness and power of the Spirit. This is not just like we're going to gut it out. This is indwelt by the Spirit, dependent on the Spirit. We choose and we act. We behave, but we are always choosing, acting, and behaving, going upstream, going against the current. That's the way the life is lived. See, only dead fish float. They float with the current. But, but if you're indwelt by the Spirit and you're going to walk with Christ, then we'll, all, we'll always be swimming upstream, y'all. It'll always be the world, the flesh, and the devil, or the culture itself, this, you know, the prince of this, this world. Our choices will always be moving against the current. This is our life together. And it never changes. So in other words... You know, the life of faith is independence upon the Spirit, making those choices and steps of faith. And if we're not, if we're not choosing that, and we don't recognize that, oh, and, you, and, and we're not, then, then, then you, you float back. Don't go into the idea that it's like works, like you've got to get it out again, indwelt by the Spirit. We are persistent and intentional in what? What, persistent, like we're not going to stop what? What are we going to keep going after? Well, that's where the verse continues, and I'm just going to call these common practices. Let's just note them, common practices, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves, persistently intentional to these certain things, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, there's some, some argument to be made around this that is that four different things that they are, you know, intentional with or is it two? I want to suggest that the, the Greek grammar and even in our English reading of it here would tend to say there's two things that they were, 
intentional and persistent about. The apostles' teaching and fellowship. The apostles' teaching and fellowship. And this fellowship that they were experiencing and they engaged in involved the breaking of bread and prayer. Everybody with me on that? That's how I'm, I see the passage, that it's, it's committed to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And this fellowship involved breaking, the breaking of bread and prayer. That's how I'll take it apart in a moment. Let's start with the apostles' teaching. This makes so much sense, that when Jesus commissioned the disciples, the apostles, with, with their charge, that we know it as the Great Commission, Matthew 28, he said to them, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So doesn't it make sense that, that, that now the apostles are teaching and those who come to faith in Christ, they, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what, was, what were the apostles teaching these brand new believers? What, what were the apostles teaching them? You tell me. Say it. The gospel, yeah. And, 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 and what else was, 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 were they teaching? To obey? You just need to come up here and we can have this conversation, you and I. Uh, all that, the, all that the, Jesus said, and teach them to obey all that I, Jesus, commanded you. So literally, and you know, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's gonna come and bring to mind everything I taught you. See how this goes together? So the apostles, the Holy Spirit now lives in the apostles, is bringing to their mind all that Jesus taught them, and now they're teaching that to those who come to faith. This is what's happening. Now, the other, other thing they'd be teaching them, of course, would be the, the Old Testament and how it pointed to Jesus. Jesus himself did that, always referencing the Old Testament. That's the only Bible that they had. Now, we know this. The apostles themselves are going to, in time, write letters. They're going to write the, the gospel accounts that we, we, we've been studying. They're going to write letters to these new groups of, of Christians called these local churches. And those letters are in our New Testament, okay? The New Testament epistles. And so for you and I to be, in, be devote, continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, that means you and I are continually devoted to being under this word. This, this is the apostles' teaching, the New Testament. And of course, the Old Testament, New Testament, God's complete revelation, his word to you and to me. And so that's what we do at Fellowship, which is great, right? I mean, this is, what we're, this is what we're to be about, continually devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, uh, which, is, which is fantastic. One word I have to say about this teaching part. And this is a little, maybe this is a little, little off turn here, but stick with me for a moment. You know, in this season of renewal, we're evaluating everything, all that we are as a church. What do we do? What, what, what needs to change? You know, uh, things change in 20 years, right? Is Franklin the same as it was 20 years ago? Literally, there's no way. So, so do we adapt and grow and, and, and engage this unique culture the same way we did 20 years ago? Uh, we, 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 we can't. I mean, you can't, you can't do that. We're constantly adapting the methods while the message stays the same. See, that's what the church always does. So we, in this season of renewal, we asked the leaders to come together. And we had like 350 
leaders. Some, many of you were there uh, several Sunday nights ago, and 350 leaders from Nashville, Brentwood, Franklin. When I say leaders, like leading areas of ministry or oversight for ministry, all the lay leaders. And uh, before they came, we asked them to fill out a little survey. And one of the things on the survey said, it, it asked, um, why are you at fellowship? You know, why are you engaged at fellowship? Why is this your church home? Do you know what the number one answer was, why, why, why people at fellowship? Yes. So, teaching. You're right, yeah. Do you know that? Isn't that amazing? It was teaching. And there was a pretty big gap, you know, and then there's this other stuff, so to speak, which is pretty, pretty neat. Unless, and this is me, you know, this is typical me. I'm kind of going, let me think about that. I wonder what that, what's underneath that, that it's the teaching. And this is where I went. And I'll ask you just to consider this with me. You know, people said they're, they're at fellowship for the teaching. And I thought, well, that's great. You know, I'm one of the teachers. I'm, I'm glad for that. Um, but here's what, here's where, it, where's, here's what hit me. If you were to ask those who were following the Pharisees in Jesus' day, why they follow their Pharisee, they would have said, it's because of the teaching, man. This guy's brilliant. There is, listen, he knows more than any of the other rabbis. If you were to ask maybe one of the disciples why they were following Christ, well, Leon, I don't know it would have been the teaching as much as it would have been, he changed my life. Now, I'm not going to beat ourselves up on this, but there's something here to me, you all. 20 years from now, 10 years from now, five years from now, would I, would I want teaching to be the main reason people are at fellowship? Well, there's a part of me that says, well, if, well, of course. I mean, but there's another part of me, can I say this? That, that I, I would hope it's, why are you at fellowship? Because Christ is so evident there. That's different than teaching. Because God is changing my life when I'm there with those people. That's different than teaching. Because I'm finding the hope of the gospel is all I need. That's different from teaching. Now, now they're, con- they're connected. Do you see where I'm going? They're connected, but I think there's something slightly amiss when it's teaching and there's this big gap and then there's all these other things. When we read this text and it says, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, Do you notice that what he then follows up with is not, let me tell you about some of this amazing teaching. Let me tell you about the things they're learning. Do you know what he follows up with? He says it's teaching and fellowship. And then he begins to describe how they have been changed. That's what I I go. He he doesn't talk about what they've learned. He talks about what they're learning and application of that learning is producing in them. Look at these people. And I desperately want that, you all, for us as a community of faith. Now, I'm glad that people are here because of the teaching. But I, I mean this when I say this. I would go for adequate teaching and unbelievable life change above really great teaching and some life change. 
And I kind of think, I'm here, it's my church too, that it's a little out of whack on that for me personally. And I think for us as a community of faith, a bit. Well, teaching, then fellowship. Okay, the fellowship is koinonia is the Greek word. It means to share together, uh, uh, koina. It, it means to have in common. It's this commonality of being together and have this commonness and this togetherness. And the fellowship, as I'm suggesting here, is broken down into the breaking of bread and prayer. Okay, so it's fellowship. What does a fellowship look like? Where there's this breaking of bread and there's this prayer and there's other results. What I'm talking about here is our common practices. So the common, common conviction and now going to the common practices going on in verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The breaking of bread, I believe, is the Lord's table. Now, the reason I'm going to say that is people disagree on this. They might say it's just common meals. The reason I'm going to say that is when you read in verse 46 and it says they were going from house to house, they were, no, I mean, it begins and says, and they were, and breaking bread from house to house. That's one thing, breaking bread from house to house. It goes on and says, and they were taking their meals together with glad. See, there's the breaking of bread and then there's this taking of meals, which tells me it's not, It's not talking about just this common meal when it says breaking bread. It seems to be referencing the Lord's table when they do that, which we're going to end our service with. And then they were also eating together, eating meals together. Is everybody with me on that? So that's the breaking of bread. How about the prayer? Well, we know in chapter 1, verse 14, it says they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. We know this in chapter 6, we'll get there in a week or two, that when the church was going through a transition and people weren't getting served and we had to get some organizational clarity here at this church, that the the apostles said, well, let's do it like this. We know what we must be about. That is prayer and teaching. Now, these guys are going to do the other things. Prayer at the very center and heart of the community of faith, at the heart of the quanania, at the heart of the together, at the heart of the fellowship. Again, I'm, 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 don't, don't think I'm like just overly killing, you know, throwing ourselves under the bus because I'm going through this because I love where God has us, what he's done, but we're in a season of renewal. I think it's appropriate to examine ourselves. And, and when, I examine, when I examine myself and our community of faith, if someone were to ask me, is fellowship a church of continual prayer? What would you say? I'm being serious. What would you say? Would anybody say anything? Would you say that we are marked by our prayer? It's okay. No, I don't think we are either. Um, I don't think we are. I mean, we do pray. Believe me, I pray, you pray. But I don't know that we're marked by our prayer. Maybe is God inviting us to change that? I think so. I, don't, I hope you notice. I hope you notice at Franklin that... that, that um, Eric and, and Rob, Mandy, Tim, they've worked very hard at when they lead worship. I hope you've noticed this over the last six months, that there is a part of our worship that flows with prayer. That's been very intentional. Mandy just led us through a, did you notice she led us through an adoration and confession? Did you see that? That's very intentional. That's where we're trying to grow as a people of prayer. There's something else we're doing in this season of renewal, and that is we've asked everyone to step into a 40-day season of prayer and fasting. 40 days of prayer and fasting. How many of you are getting the daily reminder? Just raise your hands up. Okay, great. Some of you are not. Can I say this? 
the invitation is for all of us to go into a season of prayer and fasting. If this is your church home, um, I don't know how you, I don't know how this is your church home if we're not engaged in this. I'm not, again, I'm trying to be so careful not to say, man, get on the, you know, but this is what we're to do. This is, this is our invitation to pray. And it's so easy, by the way, it's up there on the top. You just text in uh, to that number and then text the word fellowship fast and you'll get every day uh, a reminder and, and, and uh, you get the reminder and it's a prayer guide and it teaches us how to pray. I want you to know this. The way we're doing this and, and, and the way it's being written is we're, we're just assuming we all need to learn how to pray. And it's just guiding us through prayer. This morning, early this morning, I'm in, I'm, I'm in down at the, uh, the, up at the Brentwood campus because I had to do some work there. And, and I'm in a hurry and I'm trying to get through my, you know, get things done, whatever. And I go, well, I need to, I, I want to pause. I don't want to miss our daily prayer guide. So I go, God, I got to get to that prayer guide. And I pulled it out, y'all, and it was 5.57. And I went, dang it, it's not here yet. Because it comes at six. <laughs> it comes at six. But bing you know, it's there. And, uh, and went through it. And I'm going to tell you, uh, there's nothing, I don't mean to be silly or magical about 40 days and whatnot, but there's something to a community of faith praying together about the specific same things. There is something to this, you all, that matters and that's so important for us as a community of faith in a season of renewal. Say, God, we long for you. We want you. And what you'll notice is we've been a, we spent a whole week in nothing but adoration. We spent a whole week, this is the last week of confession. And this morning, before I left the Brentwood congregation, I had to run over and see someone over there that was, you know, the, the, the meet at eight, but I had to run in and ask someone. And I just want you to know, and this was out of this prayer time, I asked someone if they would mediate a meeting between me and someone. Because I got... Do any of you have relational issues with people? Is it just me, you know? And this whole week we've been praying and it's been, we've been asking ourselves, haven't we? Lord, where, where do I need to go to a brother or a sister? Where, where might they come to me? And I just, I just went and asked this person if they would arrange a meeting where I can, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I felt my obedience was to ask. I can't be the only one that the Spirit would be moving to do that. Would you do that? That's, this is how God renews us, changes us. And can I say this? If you enter into this 40 days of prayer and fasting, and I'm telling you the early church experienced this because when they write, the, when they write letters to the church, you're going to notice they, what they say about prayer and different things. It's like, woo If you're going to do this, be prepared for a spiritual battle. Do you think that we are going to join together and what we're, one of the main things we're praying about, and we're going to pray that people we've written their names down who don't know Jesus come to faith in Jesus. Do you think the enemy of our souls is not going to come against you, me, us in ways? Don't have to get scared. Don't get, don't get like, you know, spooky and looking under everything. The devil did this. No, don't do that. But I'll tell you this. Be aware there's a spiritual battle. Now, practically, I'm just going to offer this to you. One of the things that I think you could experience when you engage in prayer as we're praying like this is, Thoughts and temptations that you haven't had for years. Where did that, I'm not, I haven't wrestled with, why am I thinking? Or even a distraction and a muddied mind. I'm just telling you. And you don't back away from that. You know what you do? You pray. You pray. 
And the other thing I want to encourage you to do is you tell someone and ask them to pray so you know you're not alone in this. I'm telling you, if the, if the devil can isolate you and get you going in your mind, I'm the only one. I can't believe I've had that thought. I can't believe. And just keep you there. You're out. You're out. And it takes faith and the spirit in us to enable us to go to someone and say, man, I, I'm just, you know, I'm having these crazy thoughts or whatever. I want you to pray for me. See, that's how the body works. Breaking of bread and prayer. Sign up if you have not. I want to encourage you to do that. I don't think there's anything more important we're going to do during this season as a community of faith than these 40 days of prayer and fasting. That's where it begins. Okay, common conviction, uh, common practices, and now how about some common results? Very quickly, I'm going to just hit these as we move through the text. It's, it's so interesting. There's, there's probably others, but let me grab these. Common results. Start there in verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. When's the last time you felt a sense of awe because of your spiritual life? Now, what's talking about is actually fear. It's a reverential fear. It's this kind of fear that's like this. A, a year ago, Lisa and I in Colorado, me and her friend, we're up on a mountain, and I'm standing on a giant boulder. And this boulder's been there for thousands of years. It's not moving. It's not going anywhere. And yet when I stood on that boulder and one step in front of me was a thousand feet down, it's almost like the boulder's moving. Rather, it's my, my knee shaking. But, but it's just... <sighs> you ever feel that because you're walking with God? I don't often. I'm just, you know, but it, they felt, everyone was feeling a sense of awe. What God's doing What's interesting to me is when we take it simply in its natural reading in the text, and even the Greek text is like this, it says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Woo! Amazing. It's like the, the, the devotion to teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer created a sense of awe. It's not saying, as you read it here, um, it's not saying, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and that was creating a sense of awe. That's not what it said. The signs and wonders, by the way, I'll just briefly say this, you know, because we hit in on it as we go through Acts. Uh, Those signs and wonders, amazing miracles. I mean, they're going to raise people from the dead. The apostles, can you believe that? Raise people from the, the, uh, like Jesus and like every occurrence when there's a, a, a concentration of signs and wonders and miracles. Because you wa- read your Bible and watch this. Amazing signs, wonders, and miracles. Thousands and thousands of years, nothing. Ama- oh, ma- signs and wonders. Ma- you know, the axe head floats on the river. Thousands and thousands of years. Jesus shows up, raises people from the dead. The apostles are raising people from the dead, healing the blind. It's that those signs and wonders validated the messenger. It's always validating the messenger, whether it's Moses or Jesus or the apostles. Why did they need to be be validated? They're going to write, they're going to write our New Testament. And the signs and wonders validated who they were. They were, you know, unique people at the time. Does God still do miracles today? Yes, of course, 
He's God. He can do all he wants. What we would say, our understanding of Scripture is, that's not normative. That's all. It's not normative. It's not something we look for all the time. But would I pray for a healing from cancer? Would I pray for a healing of it? Absolutely. I pray God would. And if it's his will, he can will and he still does. But it's not normative. Why? Because the message doesn't need to be validated anymore. We have every word God, God wants us to have. We have in the Bible. Okay? So, so God still does miracles. We can pray for miracles. But this is, a, this is a unique time when the message is being validated. Okay, there was this common sense of all. Secondly, there was a radical generosity. Radical generosity. And those who had believed were together and had all things in common. By the way, that word common is koina. What does that sound like? Koinonia, fellowship. Same, same root word as fellowship. Had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. This is not communism uh, in, in the Bible. It is uh, voluntary that they did this. It was spirit-led. The state didn't make them do that. No one's making them do it. It wasn't equally distributed. It was as anyone had need. Okay? So don't, don't, don't go there. What, what this is, is radical fellowship. Well, I, I thought fellowship's just when we get together and eat dessert and talk about the Bible. I don't think so. It's, it's when you sell things and you... you Give up something of your own to meet the needs of someone else. That's fellowship? Yeah, that's, that's, that's fellowship. If our fellowship doesn't cost us anything, I don't know that it's biblical fellowship. This isn't new, is it? This is the Christian life as we've always been teaching it. As the Bible always says it is. Fellowship is a giving and a receiving. And can I tell you one of the, can I tell you one of the ways I think that we, we I'm going to talk about us as a church, stifle the Spirit's work amongst us, if I can be so bold as to say it like this, it's not that we're not willing to Craigslist, you know, the old oven and give the money to someone. It's not that. You know what it is? No one wants to say, I need some help. No one wants to say it, do they? We, we don't want to say it. I can't pay the rent this month. And yet the fellowship is the place where it's not only give, you know, given, y'all, it's received, which means somebody had to say, I have a need. I'm with you. I mean, I don't want to tell people what I have. Do, but is there something here for us? I think so. That we would find ourselves in a fellowship where we let each other know what we need that we might give to meet that need. Okay, a sense of all, radical generosity. Um, and it was a radical generosity, by the way, that spilled over into uh, meals. I, I just find this fascinating. Um, that it says, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. They still went to the temple. They worshiped there, but they're Christians now. And breaking bread from house to house. Obviously, they had big group, small group. How about that? Large gatherings, small gatherings, house to house. And they, they, they had the Lord's table in these settings. And they were taking their meals together. And then beyond that, y'all, they ate together. How about that? And when they did those things, there was a gladness and they, they, together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. I don't think we 
eat together enough. You ever thought of that? We don't eat together enough. Now, I know it's true of my family, <laughs> right? You get somebody that drives, and then you got two that drive. Then you got three that drive. And you go, who's going to be home for dinner tonight? And me and Lisa are the only ones that say we are. I am. We don't eat together. No, I'm talking about the, the family of God. And I, I'm, just, I'm just throwing that out there to say, it is no, I don't believe that this is a cultural thing. I don't believe that this was a sense of, well, you know, that's what they did in the first century. So we don't, the principle's not there to eat together. I, I think the principle is there, share a meal together. There's always been something about food and people. And that's not evolution. This is God's design for you and for me and for a community of faith. And I, I don't know how to address this wholly for us as a church per se, but I will just leave you with that. We do not eat with each other enough. Another, uh, I got two more. Gosh, time-wise, I'm, I'm, I'm late again. Common results, a sense of awe, radical generosity. Third, a deep gladness and profound favor. Notice that they, they experienced gladness of heart. I want some of that. And they had favor with all those around them. And then fourth, the last thing I'll say, the common effect was God saved people daily. Isn't this interesting? That we might, you might have, we might have thought, if you, got to the end of a, if you got the end of this paragraph and it said, and God saved people daily, I would think in my head, wow, this must have been another of Peter's sermons. It wasn't. It wasn't. What was it? They, they, they were under the teaching of the apostles and they fellowshiped together in such a way that they were breaking bread and they were praying and they had all things in common and they were giving to one another and God saved people daily. Men and women, evangelism begins in here, in here. It goes out there, but it begins in here. How do we relate to one another? How are we in biblical fellowship? It's nev- we never fellowship just for ourselves. Isn't that clear? But our fellowshipping has a profound effect on our evangelism outside of these walls. And Jesus said it that way. They will know you are Christians by our love. How we treat one another, how we engage. Wow, that's convicting to me. God saves, we give witness. Wow. So evangelism begins in, begins in here. We're going to take the Lord's table. And it's a wonderful place to end the text. I'm going to ask the ushers to pass out the bread and the cup. And as they do, I am going to continue to teach. At least offer some thoughts as this goes around. We have a common conviction And that's to say that we think fellowship or, or, or being under the word and fellowship are not optional but essential. Thus, we will persistently pursue it. We believe that our fellowship, we, biblical fellowship, 
is deepened and enhanced. And in fact, it requires that we're at the Lord's table regularly. And that we are praying. It's pretty simple. And we believe that we're a people who, who believe that biblical fellowship is a place of giving and receiving. There's a radical generosity that happens in here. There's an awe that God produces. It's a place where we say, I need. And it's a place where we say, I have here. That's, that's biblical fellowship. And according to the Bible, when we are the people of God indwelt by the Spirit of God and we live this way, we, we, we relate this way, God saves people. God saves people when his people function in this way. It's how we're made to live. And so we come today to this Lord's table and as you hold the bread and the cup, just hold it. We'll take it together in a moment. You know, we take this table, when I say it's an ordinance, that just means it's a command that Jesus gave. Jesus gave a command, do these things. There's two that he gave, be baptized and then partake in this table. And the table's representative, the bread of the life of Jesus, his very body. He's the God-man. He's not a mythical figure. He was a flesh and blood, fully God, fully man. He lived a life that we couldn't. As a man, he lived a perfect life. No sin. He died a substitutionary death. For he took our sin, he put it, it was upon it, it was imputed to him and, and therefore he had to die. Sin requires death. That's the payment. God is a just God who loves us. And so rather than us paying the payment, he said, I'll let my son pay it for you. And so Jesus dies, buried, raised again. He had no sin of his own. And living, living, Jesus said, anyone who believes that what I've done, I've done for you, then trust me. Then in that moment, you are indwelt by the spirit. Your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And you are now clothed in my righteousness. You are secure forever. You don't have to do anything to earn heaven. You can't do anything. That's the point. What we bring to Jesus is my can't. And when we bring our can't to him, he brings his I've done it and gives it to us. That's what it means to be a Christian. And in this ordinance, we remember. 1 Corinthians says we remember that Jesus gave his body for us, broke it. And we say thanks. Take and eat the bread. And in the cup we have this grape juice, symbolic of his blood. The Bible says the life is in the blood. Okay, the life is in the blood. Okay, so sin requires death. So in order for there to be death, there must the blood must pour out. Does that make sense? The life is in the blood, so the blood must be poured out. That's why the blood matters. 
Jesus poured his blood out. He died. This is, this is death on our behalf. And in his death, you see, when we trust him, we all died. I'm not going to have to pay that penalty. He was separated from the Father. I'm not going to have to pay that penalty ever, ever, ever. Because what Jesus has done for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your bloodshed, take and drink. Oh God, we thank you for the good news of the gospel that what we could never do, you have done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And in taking this table, we remember backwards to what you did, Jesus, but we also, in it, Paul says that we proclaim that you're coming again. So this is also a proclamation to us, to each other. We believe in the historic Jesus. And we believe that same Jesus will come again to set all things right. And in the interim, Lord, we know people who don't know you. And we've written their names down on our little card, our little A, or on a program. And so I'm going to invite you right now to pray for, by name, the people you had written down, or people you know right now, who don't know Jesus. We cannot save them. We can be a witness only God can save. And so ask God to save them and include in your prayers 200 young women who've spent the weekend at Camp No Boys Allowed, some of your daughters, and some of them don't know Christ. Would you pray for them as well now? Father, some, some 2,000 of us are taking each day and we're praying for the salvation of these men and women, children. We pray now that you would do what only you can do and that is open their eyes to believe the gospel. And would you, by your Holy Spirit who lives in us, enable us and impute within us a persistent intentionality to be under your word, but not just to learn it, but to live it and to be in biblical fellowship where we're known and we know others, where we're breaking bread, where we are praying and a radical generosity breaks out of our hearts. We're in awe We find our hearts exploding with gladness, praising you and having favor with those who don't know you. This is your work, O God, and we pray you might renew that work in and amongst us at Fellowship, in Nashville and Brentwood and here 
in Franklin. In Christ's name, amen. We always have someone up here praying. And so if you want someone to pray for you, then I want to invite you before you leave to come down and join our prayer team and let them pray for you. Let me pray for you. Let's turn to someone next to you if you, if you want and have them pray for you because that's what the church does. We pray. God bless.